We just like to see the boys hit it deep. There's nothing like the view from the Chiefs. Welcome to the Make Glove Not War podcast, edition three. This is a pull tab sports production. Uh, thank our in-house producer here, Thomas Nelson, for our show tonight. Uh, I'll introduce our guest here in just a second, but you know, the last time I was in this studio was about a month ago with Heather, um, Heather Rule and Melissa Berman, and we talked about the last six weeks of this season and the what could possibly happen, and I'm not sure any of us um, expected what actually happened in the next month. Uh, bring in Brandon Warren from... Uh, a billion things, access twins amongst amongst other. You talk a little bit just about your work with them and uh, and what other things you have going on twins related. So yeah, first of all, great to be here. And so I invented or created access twins during the time of the pandemic when I realized it might just make sense to go into business for myself in terms of content. So I do little things like this. I come on podcasts, I host podcasts, I write, I do a little bit of everything just to kind of keep my name out there. And then during the day, I work for the company that basically does support for Valley Sports North, Valley Sports, any number of the regional outlets, and then the national ones too. So my mind is never too far from sports. But before that, I did zone coverage, which is still in existence today. It's a Twin City sports website, and a little bit of Packers too in there. And before that, I was with 1500 ESPN. So I've been in the marketplace for about a a decade now which is, is pretty exciting you've been watching this team forever we kind of know how it can go sometimes but talk about your expectations entering the season but in anybody's worst case scenario maybe they're a few games below where we thought they'd all be probably but the last four weeks could anybody have imagined how this went basically the opposite of how they started nobody expected them to start that well and nobody expected them to finish this poorly and in the meantime they played like an average baseball team and if you look at the projections, whether it's Pakoda, Fangraphs, 538 or 538, whatever you want to use, they all said the Twins were about an 81-win team, about 500. So what kind of happened there, uh, first of all, I thought they'd be a little better than that, but I was also um, optimistic they'd stay healthy. But at the same time, if they now play decent the rest of the way, they're probably going to hit that projection pretty much right on the nose. But the problem is, with how well they started, they kind of artificially raised or lifted all of our expectations to the point where this fade, especially as you noted, the last four weeks has been especially disappointing. And this is one of the worst streaks or stretches I've seen them play uh, in quite a while, which is saying a lot, considering I covered a team that lost more than 100 <laughs> games like five years ago. It is, you know, it, it seems like I've... I've been around a team or two in my life who have quit on the coach and it looks like they're trying to get the coach fired or the manager fired. And I'm not saying they're trying to do that, but man, it is just Celestino doesn't know what out, how many outs there are on a, on a daily basis. And, um, it just seems like a team and we'll get into, into Rocco in a second here on a, on a question we got from Twitter, but man, it just seems like the team is kind of a rudderless ship in this last few weeks. For sure. And I could see why it would look like a, uh, you know, a story you'd see in the newspaper or online that this team has quit on Rocco. And I, I couldn't fully dispute that. I will say too, it's certainly not helpful. And I think I know what your question is going to ask here in a minute that they're on like their seventh, eighth and ninth outfielders. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's not ideal, but at the same time they were in the driver's seat and even in control of their destiny as little as about 15, 16 days ago. So to have it come crashing down as it has, has been just 
painful to watch, but it's like one of those, um, you know, bad acting scenes on the big screen. You can't turn away because it's the disaster potential and watching it is just so enticing. I've always been around writers that say the best, you know, you don't want to cover an average team. You want to cover a really good team or a really bad team because average teams are boring. And this year, the Twins writers have gotten a little, a little taste of both. Um, we'll talk first front office. Josiah on Twitter today asked, what do you make of the Fall V regime? Should the Twins have offered the kitchen sink to Alex Anthopoulos back in 2016? I Brandon, we know a little bit about each other. I don't love analytics. There are some that are important. I think the most important analytics are the ones you talked about, the fan grad, the projections, because ultimately this team is regressing to the mean. They're kind of where we expect them to be. But talk a little bit about, um, you know, the last five or six years under Falvey. Where do you see this team compared to maybe what they would have done with it with a different direction? Well, and first of all, we love Josiah. He is a frequent, frequent visitor to our Locked On Twins postcast. So we love, we love him very much. So I'm glad he sent in a question. I... I've been in on this group. I've been a big fan of the put the work they put in and everything, but I think what we've seen to this point and it's this season, it's you kind of have to find that blend of analytics and a little bit of feel for the game. And, you know, I've been, I've been with baseball perspectives. I've been with fan graphs. I've read all the analytics stuff and I, I like and agree with pretty much all of it, but there is a feel element to the game that I'm not seeing is missing or that couldn't be, something Rocco Baldelli knows. I mean, mm-hmm. he played at a high level for quite a while. He, he understands all these things. It's just a matter of, you know, you got to keep your guys healthy. And is that a factor you have to, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to build a rotation of guys who can go four or five innings, you need to have a good bullpen. And then you traded away your best closer before the season or your only closer before the season. Um, now he went on to have a pretty rough season and, and that's that, and that's fine but it just felt like there were a couple different disconnects that kept the uh, electricity from flowing a hundred percent at any point this season. For me, when I look at the pitching pipeline, they were supposed to bring with them, especially Derek Falvey from Cleveland, as we've seen Cleveland's pitching is, is always kind of why they're in the mix. A um, couple things happen there. It takes a while for a pitching pipeline to take hold because you have guys that you're drafting, you know, your first draft, those guys might not play for five years. So that kind of started to bunch up COVID hit. It kind of washed the sand off the beach to use a a metaphor. And they had to scrap the 2020 season, which would have been pretty big for them in terms of guys like, you know, maybe Juwan Duran gets closer to the bigs. Um, Lane Enlow, Jordan Balazovic, a lot of their pitching prospects that are near the top of the farm system right now, would have had a much better chance to debut a year earlier than they did. Now, with that said, it's it's finally starting to kind of poke its head through. Bailey Ober was better than we expected last year. Louis Varlin looks like he might be something. Um, Josh Winder. They've got all these guys. Simeon Woods Richardson is pitching in St. Paul here, and uh, he's actually pitching as we're speaking. And so they've got some guys coming up. It's just a matter of can they piece it all together along with a bullpen that can get outs at the end of games with that balance of if analytics say your starter can go five, you need to have enough guys to fill the last four of your bullpen. And that's, that's the disconnect I've seen this season. Yeah. I think especially early in the year, you know, Rocco had guys he'd pitch in when they were ahead and guys who pitch in there behind, and there was no, wasn't a lot of mixing and he certainly didn't have enough guys to pitch while they were, while they're ahead. Let's talk about Rocco a bit. Derek Falvey this week said, you know, the, the vote of confidence and I'm not, I'm not saying Rocco is not the guy because, as you said, injuries, um, the lack of bullpen from his front office. But um, do you see the uh, 
as long as Falby's in charge, do you see the poll ads looking at maybe some fan angst, some empty ballpark, even in the dead of summer? I mean, there's it's still COVID. There's still a lot of things going on. There are a lot of empty seats around there. Do you think the poll ads any more sense of urgency than, than the front office may have? You know, it's hard to say because the poll ads have been just such a, a an organization and a family business structure based on loyalty and I'm sure some people kind of turn their heads like a dog when I say that, but think about the fact that it was Ron Garden hired after Tom Kelly for, that was like 35 years of managing, yeah. 30 some years of managing. And then Molitor was around for a while. And then, um, you know, then it was boom, 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 whatever. But um, Terry Ryan was around for a long time and then his successor was handpicked. And then it was Terry Ryan again before they basically went all in on, you know, changing this analytical stuff. Um I don't know that they're necessarily feeling that that pressure, but I will say this. The sense that I get is everybody's safe right now. And this is just like if I were to talk of my like spidey senses, it's yeah. not something I've been hearing from anybody. Um, everybody's safe right now, but let's just say we get to June 1st next year and there are 10 games out or five games under 500, for instance. I think the mounting pressure at that point is going to be much higher than it is right now because that would be two and almost a half seasons of uninspiring baseball. And I, I mean, 2020 wasn't all that exciting either. It was a short season. They played decently and then got beat by a team that was under 500 in the playoffs. So honestly, I think if we're talking about a team underachieving three months into next season or two months into next season, then it, um, you know, things change really quickly. Quick word from one of our sponsors here before we will kind of look a little bit towards next year with a couple of players in particular. Yeah, Jimmy's Brandon. Jimmy's is unbelievable. They just came out the uh, the fall season. One of my favorites because of this caramel dip. Going to head to the apple orchard this weekend. Maybe going to make some apple nachos with the caramel caramel on top. Uh, if you go to the Kowalski's in Woodbury like I do, um, they also have this salted caramel dip. So give that mm. a try as well. Jimmy's a, a wonderful legacy family company here from Minnesota. So thanks. Thanks to Jimmy Salads and Dips for the uh, support of both Pull Tab Sports and Make Glove Not War. Let's talk about Buxton for a minute, Brandon. Um, I think one of the one of the issues I had at the front office this year as well was maybe at the deadline. I you know I think they they thought they're going to get it back. They, Nick Gordon was pretty good in center. He hit well. Celestino not, to to not give yourself a backup center fielder, a veteran who could play some games down the stretch. And it, what what do you, what can you depend on Byron Buxton for in 2023? Any I, any is anything a bonus at this point? Well, it's a valid question because he's only played 100 games, I think, once in his career, and I want to say it was five years ago. Yeah. So, um, the idea that you get enough from him in the limited time that he plays, it tracks for me in the sense that he's that good. But with that said. How, how do you act adequately like kind of protect yourself against mm. that? Um, the Hilberto Celestino at the beginning of the season that was spraying the ball the other way and playing good defense. That's fine. The guy who has, I think made a significant mistake in like every single of the last 10 games he's played is not going to work. Jake cave as he's currently constructed is not going to work. So maybe you go into free agency this off season and let's say you trade Max Kepler and you go sign someone who can handle center, but is probably better suited for a corner outfield spot. And that way, when, if, and when Buxton goes down, you can shift this guy to center. You're still in good shape in the corners. Cause you've got Larnick, you've got, um, you've got Kirilov, 
you have Walner who's come up and done some things and you're pretty well set then. So you have to have a major league caliber center fielder that may not be your starting center fielder. Now, I don't think they have one of those internally right now, unless someone is higher than I am on Max Kepler in center, which I mean, he, he could probably be okay there, but even still, I just, I don't want to see it. So what I think is, is basically their best chances. Yeah. Someone like Brandon Nemo in center as a, a backup option, unless, you know, Austin Martin really takes off and gets close, which has not been the case to this point. Um, or if they want to put Royce Lewis back out there, but I think that's a <laughs> fool me once, fool me yeah. twice proposition. So they need some kind of protection out there. But the problem is if you're going to devote a lot of resources to that protection, that player has to still play pretty much every day. Like Chris Taylor does for the Dodgers. You know, he can play pretty much wherever they ask him to play, but he plays almost every day. So that's what I think they'll probably end up looking toward is someone who is a, an everyday player kind of cut from like the Ben Zobrist, Marwin Gonzalez mold from a few years ago, not Marwin this year and not Marwin <laughs> with the twins. Um, and that's probably the best way to utilize Buxton because you still get value when he's playing. You just have to maximize because you don't know how long he's going to be out there. Switching gears to, uh, to Carlos Correa. I, I am, I probably bashed him a little too much early in the season. Um, he has been the only consistent Miranda a bit, but the last two months, even as the ship has sunk, um, Correa showed up every day, which he didn't necessarily wasn't doing earlier in the year, but he's been in the lineup every day. He's finally batting or hitting in runs. Um, still not the best of scoring position, but they don't have that many opportunities with the runners in scoring position. Is this guy done enough to make a lot of money next year? Or do you see him uh, potentially, even though opting out, you know, being back here? It's it's really hard to say because as of a month ago, you know, I wrote something like, "What if he opts out or opts back in?" Sorry. Yeah. And it didn't seem impossible. It may not have seemed likely, but it didn't seem impossible. And even still, I was like, you know, he'll opt out because that's still on the table. Anybody should give him two years and 70.2 million, which is what the next two years would guarantee. So, but at the same time, it was like, you know, how much does he like Minnesota? Is he going to get 200 million this off season where he wanted 300. And if he has another decent year, does he lose another 50 million? You know, the older guys get the less they get in terms of years, average annual value. And he's not really up against that clock in the sense that he's like 27 right now, but the older he gets the, the harder that any off year becomes to bounce back from. And suddenly that 300 million contract goes to 200 and then to 150 really fast. So I think he's still positioned well to get, seven years, eight years, that eight years would be great because I think that takes you through his age 35 season, which is pretty universally kind of what I think teams shoot for is that age 35 season on the back end. Um, to that end, I still do think it could be the twins. They don't have that much money committed past this season. They've had this season to more or less wine and dine him. They've been able to woo him as best they could. So I do think between them and Houston, those are the two teams with the upper hand just because he knows both of those cities. Um, I also too think that Scott Boris getting paid has always been number one in Scott Boris's mind. And so by opting out and then signing Scott Boris gets a full commission off this contract (laughs) because it will be the first full season. He's got him um, under his employee. So I think Boris made a good point though. He said, because of the lockout, 
and Korea signing after he didn't have a lot of time to do a vetting process of Minnesota, which means he's probably not going to sign a 10 year deal there. He just needs time to, you know, Bryce Harper signing for 13 years in Philly. He had to know he really, really, really was okay with being in Philly. Did where, how, how else did Carlos Correa spend this last year in Minneapolis? You would assume finding out if he does or doesn't like it. So my hope is that he opts out, comes back to the twins. And then they say, all right, it's time to attack this pitching staff and uh, figure out how we can keep guys healthy. Cause this is still a really talented team. There are not a lot of other players that have as much equity no. and clout in the front office. I mean, obviously they listen to him and ask his opinion because they want to keep him, but you can tell they, he's a really good baseball mind. Um, and I, I'm sure that will go a long way. If, if he is the kind of player and the kind of guy I think he is, that's going to go a long ways towards trying to resign him with, you know, people he knows as opposed to walking in somewhere fresh again. Yeah. Well, and he, I think he had his fingerprints on the Jorge Lopez deal. And I know that hasn't gone well, but he was phenomenal in the first half and has still some club control left. So they got plenty of time to make that happen. But I, the, the thing I keep coming back to is about, I don't know, 10 games ago, he is sitting on the, you know, the, the wire thing above the dugout where they kind of lean and watch the game happen. And I think he had his arm around Korea and Korea had his arm around him or something like that. And you just got the sense that it was like, this is the foundation. This is the future. The twins can go as far as the two, these two guys can carry them. If they pony up the money, I just have this weird feeling that they're going to try to do that. And it is, you know, sometimes we hear the twins don't have the money. They have the money. It's just, do they want to spend it? And I think, yeah, you know, you see, you want to keep the other guys around too and happy and, a lot of money but you know they gave buxton a hundred million dollars and he has played a hundred you know it's it's apple apples to oranges a bit but you, yeah. you feel like is you've come this far with correa to let him go without a fight even would really hurt just morale around around one twins way well and they have enough money coming off the the coffer so to speak that um it wouldn't be hard for them to absorb a $30 million contract and still stay within their self-imposed payroll limits and still add pitching. The, the, the biggest thing for a team like the twins right now is because they have all these young players like Miranda, Kirilov, Larnick, any of the guys that you like, like that uh, at that level, they're all on their rookie deals. So you can surround them by expensive free agent talent to kind of fill in the gaps. Well, or if you want to count Buxton as that, well, the best place to fill in with expensive, well-known, well, um, you know, well-established players is up the middle, your catcher, your shortstop and your center fielder. Well, that's your shortstop and your center fielder right there. So um, that's a good place to start. Uh, I want to, we'll talk about analytics in a minute. Cause I want to kind of ha- have you give the old guy the rundown of which ones I, I know a few of them, which ones I should care about more than others, but we've got to talk. And I know I'm a Yankees fan, blah, blah, blah. We got to talk about Aaron judge for a second because it is, oh, man. it is truly captivating. You know, I am old enough where I was in college during the Sosa McGuire summer. And I mean, you talk about must see TV. That was just, and it's might not be quite like that with judge, but you know, somebody asked me on Twitter the other day, like why should, if this wasn't the Yankees, nobody care. Why should I care? And I mean, honestly, you get to 62, and with enough question marks, you're you're kind of the king, right? I mean, I know Bonds was on the on the ESPN cast the other night, but there are so much clouds around the other three guys that it seems like this is maybe a bigger deal than people think it is because it's it's going to be legit. 
well, and it's still the AL record, right. no matter how you slice it. So yeah, it's indisputably going to be a big deal, whether he's a Yankee, a Royal, a Tampa Bay Ray, an Astro, whatever. So I, I get the Yankees, like the idea that the Yankees want to believe that every moment they're, they're involved in takes another half step in terms of importance. But Aaron Judge is, is legitimately the best story in baseball this season. Somebody posted on Twitter today, who is the most improved player in the major leagues this season? And I said, it's probably Aaron Judge, believe it or not. He's played the same number of games last year as this year, and he has like double the fan graphs, wins above replacement or war, if you prefer. And so there's just no accounting for how much of a jump that is. He went from an all-star and a very good player, possible superstar to franchise defining phenom once in a lifetime season. And so there is no reason to downplay anything that he's done this season. And what a great um, gamble on yourself season. I can't think of anybody who gambled on themselves and have, will have it pay off as much as this has. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, he's going to make exponentially more money than he would have. Um, and you know, a lot of guys would have sulked. Mm -hmm. He's just gone about his business with a smile on his face every day. And he just hits home runs. It's, you know, I watched the, uh, one of the games the other night when, you know, they had the Harrison Bader was on in center field with the, I, those in-game interviews are still awful, but, um, with him, it was, it was actually pretty good. And he was saying how quiet it got when judge came up to the plate and judge comes up to the plate and everybody's screaming MVP. It lets you know how loud Yankee stadium usually is when they're saying how quiet it is when you can still hear some things around, but it, you know, the, the silence in there is, um, you know, he's going to get it. He's going to get a 62 who knows how many he'll actually get, but it's, it's been fun for everybody to follow in every sport. Quick shout out to Joe Mama's salsa. Uh, some guys from Woodbury in my neck of the woods. What do I have today? I've got the, the hot pineapple mango. I think I've had Ooh. every one of these. Yeah. You know what? You wait a little bit for us today, Brandon. You will get your address. We'll get you some some of that pineapple mango up there. Um, yes. It's it's so good. You know, I, one of the things that what I like about them, they're a bunch of hockey guys. Um, they started bringing salsa to the games, and they said, hey, you should bottle this. And sure enough, they have They've got a great fundraising program. I know a lot of us have kids who are selling this and that. Why not sell some salsa? Because your neighbors are going to love you and and buy, buy it in droves. Um, let's talk a little bit. Uh, you have more analytics experience probably than anybody in this town, maybe this side of Derek Falvey, but, um, <laughs> you mentioned wins above replacement, which of course I made fun of a little bit and that it's actually sure. one that I do, that I do appreciate and understand, but, um, talk a little bit about, about, you mentioned earlier about the feel of the game and everything else, but there are certainly wins above replacement is one of these that it's, it's true. There's not a lot of lying in the numbers. Um, you know, I, my, you could tell what a guy, um, sometimes you look at his batting average and he's good, but he might, he might not be. So talk a little bit about, about wins above replacement for maybe some of our, our listeners who are a little bit more dinosaurs like me. It's just, it's a nice approximation of how many wins a player adds to a team as opposed to a, a an average. Like I think if you, if you build a team with the entire roster of 0.0 win players you're supposed to in theory win something like 48 or 52 games so every win above that is what that player has contributed to you it's it's obviously an approximation so there are error bars built in as far as if you have a six win player might they actually be 6.5 might they actually be 5.5 sure and there's going to be sample size issues and all that stuff defense is still hard to quantify 
because of shifts and positioning and jumps and all that stuff. But what, what we really go for there is just, Hey, um, you know, is this, uh, is this player this much better than his possible replacement? And some of it accounts for offensive environment because it's easier to hit home runs at Coors Field than it is in, let's say, San Francisco. We have the data that backs that up. And so it, it all just kind of gets baked into there and gives you what is intended to be a neat and tidy little comparison figure. But it certainly is uh, something that we may take a little too seriously at times because it's not gospel. It's not it's not law rather it's not um 6.2 is better than 6.1 is better than 6.0 if you have three players with those war levels they're probably all about the same player what's your go-to pitching uh fancy stat um you know it's tough because uh i kind of do if it's a starting pitcher i got what i call it i I hope it's not heretical but the holy trinity i want to see you guys strikeout rate walk rate and ground ball rate because if you get a bunch of strikeouts, you're going to be, you know, pretty, pretty tough to hit. Um, walks are the thing that everybody just hates because you're standing around, you're putting guys on for free. And then ground ball rate is, um, you know, if you get a lot of grounders, you're not giving up extra base hits. Your, your defense could fail you and they could string together four straight singles and score a run, but that's certainly a lot less damaging than a fly ball that goes out of the park. So when you hear pitchers get a lot of grounders, I, I like to see that. When you've got a guy who does all three of these, that's when you've got a Cy Young candidate. So, I mean, I like ERA. I like the the FIP and XFIP and all that stuff. Um, but to pick one that paints a picture for me is ooh, it's too difficult. Okay. Did you uh, – I, I, we talk about analytics. Like, I played Stratomatic baseball growing up, and it's funny to think we had these little cards that you rolled dice and, and you did box scores, and ultimately they were using – they might not have names for it, but the same things we talk about now that might – do they go too far? It's the same thing we were talking about with a board game in the, in the eighties. Um, it's all about the numbers. And, you know, we talked about some more important than others for sure, but ultimately, you know, this twins team, as we bring it back, um, before we close up, you know, people, th- I, I thought they they had a chance to win the division probably, um, wasn't sure Cleveland would be the one, but talk about leave the difference between, you know, the Indians, they're so young too. Um, what have they done to put themselves in this position? When I look at Cleveland this year, and I know that you're a man of a certain age, as am I, so you'll remember this team. The 2000 Twins, is what, 2002 Twins, easy for me to say, is who I see. It's a bunch of young guys who are too young, who are too unproven, and too whatever to listen to anybody yeah. who tells them they can't. You add up what those players seem to be capable of, and then your sum at the end of the, the addition is less than what you get. They're greater than the sum of their parts. That's what great teams are. Sometimes you have these super teams like the Yankees back in the late 90s, um, you know, where they just steamroll everyone. The 98 Yankees come to mind for me. And then you've got the teams that just come together. It's young guys who played with each other in the minors. It's a bunch of guys who are replacing legends where it's like, you know what? They said we couldn't do this. In 2002, it was the contraction twins where they had gotten pretty good the year before and said, listen, we got to save baseball in Minnesota and then went out and did that, right? So to me, that's what I see here. And that's the last time 20 years ago that the twins won a playoff series. Do I think Cleveland can do that? Yes, absolutely so. But they're, they have sturdy pitching, a good bullpen, and an offense that makes contact. They don't hit the ball that hard and they don't hit it out of the ballpark. Those teams 
for whatever reason, seem to be able to make things happen in October. I, I can't say that I believe in them in the sense that they're as good as the Yankees or, or even close to the Astros. But at the end of the day, were the Braves that much better than the Dodgers last mm-hmm. year? Were the Braves that much better than anybody else? Sometimes you're just a team of destiny, and that's what happens. So for me, I see Cleveland as a team that it's just it takes on the identity of Terry Francona above them as the manager. And they're just a they're annoying, quite frankly, <laughs> to be managing or playing against. And you and I both know the Metronome twins all the way through 2009 drove everybody crazy. They knew their ballpark. They knew their game. They knew their limitations. And then they beat the crap out of you while staying within them. That's what Cleveland does. And, um, you know, they deserve, they deserve their kudos. Mention that 2002 twins team. Of course, the next year, um, was one, this ridiculous, just crazy people ask them about the playoff losses, because of course it's three or four generations now of, of players that have come and gone. But I, I, one of my next, uh, columns at pull tab, I'm going to do a kind of a, what if alternative history, like what if they hadn't just won game one, what if they'd won game two? You know, what if they'd have, what could have happened if that one mm-hmm. year had gone differently um, and kind of have some fun with, you know, free agents over the years and things like that. But uh, this will be the year they, they break the playoff drought. Uh, perhaps it'll be next year. Brandon, give me your world series pick Dodgers. I'm going off the board here. I think Seattle is the team to beat this year. I, I think the Dodgers are great. And I think the Astros are great. And I think you and I both know, that picking that is like picking all ones to get to the yeah. final four in the NCAAs. So I'm going off the board. I think Seattle is a team that just kind of throws it all together and is really scary in October. So let's revisit this when they lose three straight and we're looking at a Dodgers Astros world series. Seattle's also <laughs> a team, you know, young stars who just don't give a damn. Like they, they don't, yep. they just, they're going to go out and play and play hard. Hey kitty. You're going to cat in the background there. Just saying hi. I do. Oh my gosh. I didn't even realize he jumped up there. <laughs> um, yeah. Spend all this time keeping the dog out of the shot and the cat comes in. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, just there's a young player. Sometimes they just, they go out and they play in October and, and that's all that matters. Yeah. And they're all professionals. They're all great athletes. It, the, the, the margin of difference between a really good NHL player and a superstar or MLB or NFL I think it's a lot closer than fans realize like a, a, a very decent NFL or MLB player can hang with a superstar for a very long time yeah. in a head to head situation. You know uh, it's, it's incredible how talented and gifted these guys are. And so if Seattle goes out and does it like I think they will, it, it could very easily be them. You brought up a good point. And that's to all the beer league. When I, when I said that I made a, a, an off, um, cheek comment about when the Joe Ryan no hit bid was going on, and do you want him to pitch no hitter? Or do you want him to tear his or have a John, Tommy John surgery? And all these beer league guys came at me, not realizing everything I say is a joke, but came at me saying, "In, in beer league, we can do this, we can do that." <laughs> Just where, trust me, you are you are a long way from single A or double A, much less uh, much less the major leagues. Yeah, no kidding. Sorry, I'm getting hijacked. That's here, fine. Well, um, we'll let you go. Must no, be. It, it's it's true though because um, you know it's 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 a totally different rule book. You know these guys are making lots of money, and so they're going to protect them, and they're going to, you know, back in the day when it was Nolan Ryan, it was either throw nine innings or go on the scrap heap. Game has changed, and what you're going to do? But um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And also, too, I'm getting deluged by people who think I'm super serious about Cleveland flaunting their division title. So 
I'm right in the same boat with you. I Should we have Lavella on next time to talk about celebrating uh, celebrating division titles? Division well, division's better than celebrating the wild card or the, or the last team in. But Major League Baseball is taking it a bit too far with the sponsored goggles. We'll have to um, if we ever have them on together. I'll I'll tell you a fun story about him and Josh Willingham and. Uh, <laughs> 2014 because it's one of my favorite Lavelle stories of all time. All right, Brandon Warren, Access Twins, Twins Postcast. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, and you have a, you have a good one. Be good. Thanks again, everybody. Podcast three here. Make love not war. Thanks to Thomas, our producer, all the folks at Pull Tab Sports for making this happen. We'll see you next time. <laughs>